and it's called, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a quote right from Scripture, uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, before I jump into what on earth God might be trying to say to us this morning, I want to talk for a little bit about what the author was uh, trying to say, what the author was trying to say to his original readers. What was the author trying to say? Should I point this someplace, Jing? Just make sure it... Do I point it anywhere to make sure it works? Okay, we'll just keep keep pressing until it comes on. <laughs> um, let's see. This is maybe not working here. Maybe, yeah, this doesn't seem like it's... All right, what was the author trying to say to his original readers? Now, I'm starting here because, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired... The original author, the person who wrote this, we don't know who wrote um, Hebrews. A lot of people Paul did, but there's a lot of evidence it wasn't Paul. No one's really sure exactly who wrote it. And, uh, but, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to, uh, to write something, and he, he had a very particular message he wanted to give to his listeners, to the, to the readers, uh, this group of Hebrews. And, you know, it's a lot more likely that you're going to get you're going to understand what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you with this verse, with, with this passage, um, if you first understand what the Holy Spirit was trying to teach the original readers. Does that, does that make sense? It's going to help you out a lot. You know, I'm sure we would all agree that lots. it's easy to misinterpret Scripture. It's really easy to misapply Scripture, to, to get it all wrong. And... Uh, uh, but if we one safeguard against getting it wrong is if we work really hard at trying to figure out what, what was the author trying to say to his original readers. So uh, I'm not going to take you through the whole book, the whole letter, because that would take way too long. But I want to highlight a few things that the author was definitely trying to get through uh, um, more deeply than, than, than anything else. Um, uh, First, if, if you look at the immediate context, I think the verse is right around this. The verse right before, chapter 3, verse 6, um, he says, if you want to... Yeah, there we go. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. All right? And then if, just a few verses later, verse 14, if you look on, down there, the author writes, uh, we have come to share in Christ... If we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. All right? So, uh, and, and, and if you were to go through the rest of this book, you'd see this theme again and again. Basically, if you want to go to the next one, Fern, um, the author was saying persevere through trials, persevere all the way to the end. Keep going, keep believing, keep obeying all the way to the end. And if you don't believe me, there's a few other verses, uh, a few other passages from the same, uh, from the same book uh, that all basically say 
the same thing. And, and you'll, you'll see this theme of persevere, 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 all the way to the end. So that was one big idea, one major theme the author was trying to hammer home to the original readers. Persevere through trials. Uh, second one was stick with Jesus because he is better. All right? Now, these original readers, you have to understand, we don't know a whole lot about them, uh, but very likely, most likely, it was a group of Christians who had recently converted from Judaism. They had grown up ethnic and religious Jews and had become Christians. Okay? So they had this incredibly rich tradition and history uh, of all these uh, amazing ways God had worked in their lives. They knew they were God's chosen people, and, uh, and, and, and so they had all this richness to draw from. And what m- the best scholars think is that this group of Jewish Christians were being tempted to turn back to old-fashioned Judaism without Jesus. They were being tempted to give up Jesus. Okay? And, um, but this is what the author does. If you read through the book, and I'd really encourage you, don't just believe what I'm saying about the book of Hebrews. Go and read it for yourself. It really only takes maybe half an hour. If you're a slow reader like me, it might take you 40 minutes to, to get through the book from beginning to end. Um, same amount of time you might spend on whatever you're reading uh, before you go to bed. Um, but, but do this. And you're going to see this theme again and again and again um, in the past, in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, um, In the past God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken uh, by his Son. So here the author is comparing Jesus to all these amazing Old Testament prophets. And there were some amazing ones. And Jesus is better than those prophets. Uh, then he compares him uh, to the angels. Jesus became as much superior to the angels as his name he has has inherited is superior to theirs. So Jesus is even better than the angels. Then the author compares him to Moses. Moses was was faithful as a servant, but Christ is faithful as a son. Um, And then he compares him, if that wasn't enough, he compares him to other Old Testament heroes. Joshua, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And Jesus is better than Joshua. Uh, he's able to save completely those who, can't, who come to God through him, unlike the other high priests. So here the author compares Jesus to the high priests. And guess what? Jesus is better than the high priests. Uh, and another verse where he compares him to the priests. The ministry of Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the high priests, as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior. And then, um, if that weren't enough, The author compares Jesus to the blood of bulls and goats and sheep that were sacrificed to purify the people of Israel from sin. How much more, then, will the blood of Jesus cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So what we see this author doing again and again and again is comparing Jesus to all these amazing heroes of the Old Testament, all, these ama- all this amazing richness from the Jewish background that these, this group of Christians had, and saying, Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Uh, and, and this is super um, important uh, for us today. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a, a little bit. But I want to pause and say one more interesting thing we're pretty sure about these, Jew- these original Jewish Christians who originally got this letter. Why were they thinking of turning away from Jesus? Why were they thinking of turning away from Jesus? Why were they thinking of giving up Jesus? All right. Well, uh, we're pretty sure, based on the other things the author writes in this book, that they were facing persecution. Okay? They were first facing persecution and trials. Now, you might wonder, well, I thought persecution was supposed to make your faith stronger, right? All these stories I've heard about how people's faith gets strengthened when they face persecution, isn't that what's supposed to happen? Well, that is what happens in certain kinds of persecution, all right? It is what happens in certain kinds of persecution. The, the, uh, your faith gets stronger usually in the kinds of persecution, you know, you've probably all heard stories of the early Christians or, or maybe Christians who live in uh, Islamic countries uh, under Sharia law or maybe uh, Christians who lived under old communist-style regimes. Uh, and, and you hear these amazing stories where, you know, whether it was the ancient Roman officials or the communist officials would, you know, bring the Christian before them and say, you know, deny Christ, deny Christ. And, uh, and if, you, if you do deny Christ, we'll let you live. In fact, we'll even give you a furnished apartment and everything's going to go well for you. You're going to get a good job. Uh, but if you don't deny Christ, we're going to kill you or we're going to kill your family or we're going to torture you. Uh, you. You know, many people in this room, you've heard those sorts of stories. And uh, in, in, in those moments when you're facing that kind of persecution, there's this incredible clarity uh, and, and, and you realize in a flash, like, uh, if I give up Christ, that means I'm giving up eternity. And why would I, why would I do that um, for, to spare myself a few moments of torture and pain and suffering here on earth? No, I am going to stick with Christ. That, that's when your faith really gets strengthened. That's the kind of persecution we think about, all right? But... That was not the persecution that these Hebrews were facing. All right? That's not the persecution these Hebrews were facing. It's very clear in the text. I didn't write it up here, but if you look at chapter 12, verse 4, it says, uh, the author writes very clearly, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of, the shed, of shedding your blood. All right? So this group of Christians, Jewish converts to Christianity from Judaism, they weren't facing that life or death kind of persecution. All right. Now we don't know a lot about the kind of persecution they were facing. Uh, in chapter 10, there's indications that at first they'd suffered some pretty heavy-duty, uh, you know, confiscation of their property, other stuff like that. But at this point, they didn't seem to be facing that. You know, what was the kind of persecution they were facing? And I want you to think about this. We, we, we have to uh, do a little bit of guesswork here about the kind of pers- persecution they were facing. But uh, imagine, if, if, you re- if we know based on other parts of the New Testament and, and other uh, things we gather from history, that at first, Jewish converts to Christianity enjoyed a great deal of favor 
by the Jewish community. It says that in Acts chapter 2. Everybody admired them, and wow, those guys are pretty amazing. But fairly quickly, things began to turn for the Jewish Christians. So much so that uh, within a few years, when Paul would travel to different locations to share the gospel... Often, unfortunately, it was, it was the leaders of the Jewish, local Jewish synagogue that would stir up persecution and anger uh, and violence against him. And there, there's some instances in Acts where we see that, that happening. So, um, so, so things turned on the Jewish Christians, and that is very likely what these Jewish Christians were facing. This is very likely the kind of persecution that they were facing. Okay, not outright bloodshed, not outright violence, but that that um, th- think of all the ways that they were probably they were probably still living right next door to non-Christian Jews who were holding on to the old traditions. Okay, they their friends and relatives, many were probably uh, still holding on to the old ways, and think of the the subtle looks friends and relatives were giving them. Think of the sneers uh, and the talking behind their back that they were probably facing with their own neighbors. Think of, uh, you know, it was the kind of persecution where you're walking down the middle of the street and uh, here comes your, your former friend and they move to the other side of the street, okay? That was the kind of persecution that they were very likely facing, Okay, that kind of subtle and sometimes not so subtle rejection by their peers, their own neighbors, their their former friends, their own family members. Okay, imagine that. And it happens even to Jewish people today. We hosted uh, last spring, if you remember, our church hosted some um, uh, some of the um, Jewish con- Messianic Jews, uh, Jewish people who'd grown up Jewish and had converted to Christianity. A couple stayed at our, our home. It was very interesting as they talked about the kind of persecution uh, Jewish converts still face by their own relatives, their own friends. Okay, and uh, since this was a group of Jewish Christians, it was very, very likely they were facing this same sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> so. Now we come to the question, how is this relevant to us today? And I I think there's two reasons why this is relevant to us today. Two reasons why what the Holy Spirit inspired the author to write to the original recipients of the letter, why that matters to us. I would say reason number one is because our trials are actually similar to the trials faced by the Hebrews. Okay, they're actually very similar. Uh, You know, you read in other parts of the New Testament, and it's clear many Christians were facing actual death, actual violence because of their faith. You know, you you read 1 Peter, you read the book of Acts, you you realize they, they they were having those moments where, those clear moments of deny Christ and live or keep going with Christ and we're going to kill you, or we're going to kill your family. That, that's the kind of stuff they, they were facing. But most people in this room, I know that there's a, there's a few of you, based on the countries you've come from and the history where you've been, you have faced 
there's a few of you in this room who face that kind of persecution. But the vast majority of us here, the vast majority of us here in America, have never and may never face that kind of clear-cut, overt, deny Christ and live sort of persecution. Okay? Um, so we can actually relate to the Hebrews a lot, this, this group who originally received this letter, a lot better than we can relate to most of the other Christians described in the New Testament. Um, and, and just like the Hebrews, our trials are usually that sort of slow, grinding, daily bludgeoning sort of trials. Um, the kind of trials that wear us away. Okay? Remember I said the Hebrews were contemplating going back to old school Judaism and forgetting about Jesus. All right? And they were doing it because of these trials, these slow, grinding, bludgeoning sort of trials that make you start wondering, oh, is Jesus really worth it? Is this all this, is this really worth it? Are we really that much better off with Jesus? I mean, we had Moses and the angels and the prophets and Aaron and da 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 da, da you know, and the blood of bulls and goats. Why? Why? What is this, Jesus? Why, why are we doing this again? All right, that's that's the kind of trials the Hebrews are facing. That's the kind of trials most of us face, and and that is the kind of trial that puts you and I in much greater danger of hardening our hearts, all right? Remember, when you have that moment of clarity and it's deny Christ or live, or deny Christ and live, or accept Christ and die, you know, you've got that moment of clarity, you're like, yes, I'll go through a moment of torture and have an eternity with Christ. Yes, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, is what the early church used to say. Yes, I'm going to do that. Um, but it's that slow, grinding, beat down, beat down, beat down of the day sort of trial that that makes you, oh, why are we doing this again? What was this all about? Did I, was it really that bad before Christ? Was I oh, just sort of exasperated beating down that we go through uh, that makes us begin to slowly harden our hearts? We begin to question Jesus. Uh, we begin to, you know, it's that little unnoticeable movements inside of our heart this slow little bit of edging away from God, this very sort of quiet refusal to give him our affections. You know, well, God, if you made me go through that, I'm not going to praise you today. You know, just that little, little, our hearts just slowly begin to move away in almost unnoticeable steps. We don't even notice it, but but we, we begin to slowly refuse to give God our affections because our lives have become so hard. And, you know, these Hebrews, uh, and, and, and when you, when you, if you get a chance to read the whole book, you'll see this. Just because these Hebrews, and just because we have made a good beginning with Christ, it's no guarantee we're going to make a good finish with Christ. Uh, and that's why you see, even in this very chapter, if you look at chapter 3, verse 16, if you look at that, um, this is a very scary thing the author writes. Who were those who rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? If you know your Old Testament history, those are the Israelites who saw the ten great plagues God performed on their behalf. They saw how God parted the Red Sea on their behalf. He saw how God uh, you know, made dry land so they could escape and then 
they saw how the Egyptian army tried to follow them and the Red Sea closed in on the Egyptian army and they never had to deal with the Egyptian army again. You know, they, these are the people who saw God's presence in a pillar of fire at nighttime and a pillar of cloud during the day, leading them, guiding them step by step. These are the people who saw the manna appear every morning out of, uh, out of nowhere. I mean, these are the people who saw miracle after miracle after miracle. You know, you'd think no other group of people was better set up to keep following God all their lives, to have soft, pliable hearts all their lives than this group of Israelites. All right? And, and the author is referring back to them in verse 16. Who were those who rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it, was it not the bodies of those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? Okay? So those Israelites that the author is, to whom the author is referring, those Israelites made a great beginning with God. And you would think, okay, if anybody is going to follow God, it's going to be people who got to see like a gazillion miracles, like the biggest miracles ever in history. And of course, they're going to keep following God because who wouldn't after seeing those miracles? In fact, you know, I, I used to, um, I, I used to think, you know, I had a, a, still a whole bunch of unconverted family members and, um, and, and friends. And, you know, I used to think, oh, God, if, you, if they could just see a miracle, if they could just, you know, God, if you would do just something so obvious in their eyes, um, some amazing sign and wonder, some clear answer to prayer, some healing, some, some just uh, something that, you know, they couldn't explain, science couldn't explain, there'd be no way of rationalizing it away. Oh, then, then I know they would get converted, God. Uh, or, or when I was struggling in my faith, and maybe you've done this too, like, oh God, if I could just see a miracle, oh God, if you would just let me have another sign or another, another wonder, something, something that would just convince me, guess what, you guys? The Israelites had miracles coming out their ears. Nobody had more miracles than those first Israelites. Nobody was more privileged than those first Israelites to see miracle, and not just, not, I, I don't want to belittle some kinds of miracles, but I mean, not just little miracles that a few people saw. These were big miracles. Pillar of fire, you could see, for hundreds of miles around. No, no fuel, no anything, just this pillar of fire. Bread that you could eat and nourish you, just like appear out of no place. Water coming out of a rock. I mean, uh, ten amazing plagues that like came out of nowhere. The Red Sea parting. You can't get bigger than the Red Sea parting. Okay, that's what the Israelites had. That's what they saw with their own eyes. And guess what? They didn't enter God's rest. They didn't get to go to the Promised Land. And so I won't. I'll spare you that whole story. You most of you know it. But uh, you know that God said this whole generation isn't going to get to go into the promised land. It's only the children who have... And, and they're going to learn obedience and faith as they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That old, unbelieving man has to die off so the new, new believing man can enter into the promised land. <clears throat> Guys, so just because one makes a good beginning with God, there's no guarantee they're going to make uh, a good ending with God. And the same is, 
is true when, when we hear God's voice. That's what the scripture says in verse 7 and 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, there was nothing wrong with God's voice. A, a, lot, of, a lot of people think, um, you know, well, um, you know, may, if, I, if I could really hear God's voice, if God would just speak to me in some audible way, well, then I would follow him. Well, the scripture here says, actually, there was nothing wrong with God's voice. It was God's voice. This wasn't a demonic counterfeit. This wasn't Satan whispering something to kind of sound like God. I mean, Satan does that kind of stuff, but that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about God is God, it's actually God's voice and the people's hearts are hard. Okay? And we need to check our hearts and see if our heart is getting hardened because we could be hearing, I mean, you guys, this, fear, this fills me with fear and trembling when I even think about this. We could be hearing the actual voice of the Lord, and in the midst of that hearing, we could harden our hearts. Our hearts could get hard, even hearing the actual voice of God. So nothing is wrong with God's voice. Um, uh, it's that the problem is our hard heart. Um, and so, just like the Israelites, we too are in danger of falling away from God. We too are in danger of falling away from Jesus because of our trials. When we, often when we start the Christian life, we're like, I'm, trials are going to, you know, whatever doesn't kill me is going to make me better. I'm, it's going to build my character in Christ. Well, it can if you let him, but those very trials could also, that slow daily beating down could be the very thing that hardens your heart. And so we too stand in danger. Just like the, Israelite, just like the Israelites did and just like that first group of Hebrews who originally received this letter, uh, just like they did. <clears throat> so the problem is not with God's voice, it's with our heart. So I want to end this morning with how do we avoid a hard heart? How can we avoid a hard heart? And I think the author gives us three really clear antidotes to a hard heart. Three really clear ones. First of all, stick close to the Christian community. Stick close. Uh, in just... A little bit later, in the very same chapter, he writes, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. He's talking about that hardened heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So right here, the author is saying, here's antidote number one, encourage one another daily. Okay, And that encouragement of one another daily doesn't happen to you when you're in isolation. It doesn't happen when you are in isolation. There was a, there was a purpose for God bringing Christians together. There, there, is, there is a very important purpose. And, you know, I, I'm sure if you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, 
you've been hurt in Christian community. It's almost a guarantee. If you haven't yet, I don't want to scare you, but you're going to get hurt in Christian community. I've been hurt, um, and, it, you know, it happens. I don't want to belittle that. Some of, sometimes there are extremely serious hurts, and we can't minimize that. But nevertheless, Christian community is God's first antidote to avoiding the hardness of heart. It's in Christian community. That's where you're going to find accountability. That's where you are going to find support, encouragement, love. That's where you're going to find people who push you in the right direction, hopefully gently and kindly and with respect. Um, That's that's where you're going to find people praying for you. All right, and that doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen when you don't make yourself known to the community. It doesn't happen when you don't plug into the Christian community. Okay. Um, so antidote number one is stick close to the Christian community. Now, antidote number two, most of you aren't going to like. I don't like it, but it's what's in there. It's what's in Scripture. View your trials as faith training. View your trials as faith training, as training for faith. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews said they were supposed to be. He says, um, uh, much later, he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. All right? So there is a harvest of righteousness and peace if you allow the trials to train you. Okay? And and this is going to take a big mental shift for for many of us. Um, If we see our trials as a sign that God isn't in control, as a sign that we're just sort of thrown out there to the winds of chance and, you know, who knows what what hit we're going to take next and God's not even in control of that. If that's how we view our trials, that is such a setup for misery, for bitterness, for anger. Um, but if we view our trials as God actually trying to train what's most precious to him, your faith, then... Like like what a like a bodybuilder, um, it's it's resistance training. You actually get stronger as you exercise. You get stronger as you have to exercise your faith through every trial. A trial comes, and you're like, oh, is God really in control? Is I oh that really that one really hurt. That was awful. God, do you know what you're doing? And then you're like, okay, wait, okay. God's word says he knows what he's do what he's doing. Okay, I'm going to believe you, God. This really hurts, but I'm going to believe you, God. And it's like the bodybuilder, you know, exercise, you know, pumping, pumping the iron. You're pumping your faith, your faith muscle. And as you, I'm, God, I'm going to believe you through this one. I don't, I'm, I'm not happy about this, but I'm going to believe you. Somehow this is going to work out for your glory somehow. And little by little, that faith muscle gets stronger and bigger and tougher. Next thing comes to bludgeon, you're like, oh, God, that one, whoa, whoa, God. What do you, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Okay, but God, I'm going to believe you. I, this, that one hurt even more. But you exercise that faith, 
and little by little it gets stronger, it gets bigger, it gets tougher. Okay, do you guys see how that's working? As you exercise your faith muscle, uh, God is training that faith through your trials. You guys, this is so, it's so hard for me to preach this because this is really hard for me to believe, but it's actually, it's like right there in scripture. It's, it's, it's true. And that's, that's how you're gonna persevere. If you, if you view your trials as a sign that God's not in control, you're not going to have that faith to persevere all the way to the end. You'll have that, you're going to have the kind of faith that, that only, you, you, you only feel good about God, you only, you only feel good about following Him when you see the big miracle, when you see the big pillar of fire, when you see the big parting of the Red Sea. That, that's when you're going to feel good uh, for God, but that's not the kind of faith God's after. God's after the kind of faith that perseveres all the way to the end. That's the faith God wants in you. He wants in me. That's what he's after. Okay? Um, third and most important antidote to a hard heart. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. This is what the author told the Hebrews to do. This is what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. This is what it says throughout all Scripture. Look at Jesus. Uh, if you don't believe this is an important, um, uh, here's just a few verses. This is an important theme in the scripture. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Um, and chapter 12, verse 2, Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And this is the most important thing. You know, this is what the author was telling Hebrews to do. They were thinking, well, you know, Moses was pretty cool. Why do we need this Jesus? And the author was screaming at them, Jesus is better than Moses. They were thinking, oh, those angels, they're pretty cool. Yeah, they've, like, God's used them to deliver his people a lot, hasn't he? And the author was screaming, Jesus is better than the angels. All right? Uh, Joshua was, wow, he was a really cool guy. He led us into the promised land. He was, he was really a man after God's heart and a great warrior for God. And the author is screaming to them, Jesus is better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron the high priest. He's even better than the actual sacrifice by which our sins are cleansed. Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. Jesus is better. And and brothers and sisters, when we look at Jesus, when we see him for who he really is in all of his glorious superiority to everything else in your lives, everyone else in your lives, then that's when you're going to find the strength to endure the trials. No matter how grinding and meaningless your trials feel at the time, no matter how pointless and confusing they are, no matter how much they throw you into sort of a cloud of confusion, no matter how painful they are, when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus, the sight of him is going to make endurance, perseverance worth it. That's why when you, when you look, I heard through the, um, someone uh, read a piece of it and, and several of the songs we sang were from the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation, sorry, no S in the end. <clears throat> um, 
that that whole scene is a scene of what's really going on in heaven. And what do we see happen again and again? If you get a chance to read it, we see all these people who've been redeemed by God and they're facing, they're looking up at the beautiful Lamb, the Lamb who was slain. And they are saying, you are worthy to receive honor and glory. What's happening there is that all those trials they've endured all their lives, all the tears they've shed, all the pain that they have suffered, all of it, when they see the Lamb risen and glorified, they're like, oh, Jesus, you are worth, you were worth all of this. You were worth this whole thing. You were worth this life of trials. You were worth this life of pain. Jesus, the sight of your beauty makes it worthwhile. Oh God, it was worth it to suffer for you, Lord. It was worth it to sacrifice for you. It was worth it to give it all up for you. And not just to do it in that flash moment of deny Christ and, and live, but it was worth it to sacrifice for you again and again and again. And not just the first decade of my following you, but the second decade and the third decade and the fourth decade and the fifth decade. It was worth it to sacrifice for you all the way to the very and it was worth it. Jesus, you make it worth it. So gaze on the beauty of Christ. Look to Jesus. I, this is my most important thing I could ever say to anybody. Look to Jesus and you will find he is worthy. He is worthy of the ongoing sacrifice. And, and we're going to conclude now. If, if, if um, We're just going to pray together and if, if, it, if it helps to, to kneel or be at the altar or whatever, we're just going to pray right now that... The Lord Jesus, if, 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 you're, if, if, if you find that it's impossible to see Him through the cloud of confusion, we're going to pray together the Holy Spirit would do what Jesus said He would do in John chapter 16. He said, um, and the Holy Spirit will glorify Me. And we're going to pray the Holy Spirit right now would so glorify, so magnify, so beautify, so exalt in your own esteem, your own affections, the beauty of Jesus, you would see that even the trials you're going through right now are worth it. They're worth it. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's pain. I'm not trying to say your pain is small. Some of the pain that some of you are going through in this room is so awful, I can't even imagine. It's horrifying even to even think about what I know some of you are going through. But even that it pales in comparison to the beauty of Jesus. Uh, the, uh, uh, Apostle Paul wrote, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time to be worthy of comparison with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So let's just all just join together in prayer. And if the worship team could come up and be ready or, or even start. Um, Heavenly Father, I just we just seek your face now, Lord. And I just want to be the very first to confess that my faith has wavered again and again and again at the face of trials. And not even the big trials, Lord. My faith has wavered in the face of the little trials, the grinding trials, the bludgeoning trials, the daily trials. And Lord, I just want to ask, because You are a gracious God, because You are kind, because, as Your Word says in James, You are generous and You give generously without finding fault, Lord, I pray out of your non-fault-finding generosity, would you give each of us the grace to look at Jesus, to see Jesus high and lifted up, exalted, 
sovereign over all things, sovereign even over our trials, Lord, as difficult as they are, as hard as they are, Lord Jesus. Would you let us see, would you let us catch a glimpse of the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that one day we will all see face to face and we will know, we will know, Jesus, that it was all worth it to give everything up for you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, would you give us the grace now, Lord, as, as we worship you, as we lift you up, as we praise your name, Spirit of God, do what you said you would do. Glorify Jesus in our eyes now, we pray. Amen. We're going to rise and worship with the worship team, and you are released after that.